0: Well, I invite you to turn to uh, Psalm 121, and as you turn there, um, I'm reminded of of how this is sung uh, by a certain group called the Sons of Korah, and the tune and the way they sing it is uh, pretty nice. I invite you to look that up. You can Google it. They, of course, have other songs. I thought about putting it on my phone and then playing it for you. But I guarantee you there would be something wrong with that, as you all recall, that he who lives by technology shall certainly die by it. (laughs) So uh, I'll just encourage you to look at it yourself. Anyway, as we take a look then at Psalm 121, uh, kids, this is part of what's called the Psalms of Ascent and ascent means to go up. So for three times a year, every male in the Old Testament church was supposed to go to Jerusalem, no matter where he lived. Three times a year, he had to go during Passover, during uh, what we now call Pentecost, and then uh, in the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles or Harvest. Uh, Anyway, those three terms for the third one. Three times a year, if you were an observant, uh, follower of, of God, you would go to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is on a hill. There's other hills around it, but on this hill is where Jerusalem is. And you're expected to go there. So as you're going, you're going to be going up. You know, it's a long up, but you're going to go up. That's why it's a, it's a psalm of ascent, because. During these psalms of ascent, I believe it's Psalm 120 through 134, correct me if I'm wrong, all you theologians out there, but during those psalms, you're you're chanting these psalms as you're going up. What are you going up to? You're going up to worship because Jerusalem was the official place that God said you're to worship him. So for three times a year, you would have a, you know, a festival-type worship. And so this Psalm, Psalm of Ascent, uh, uh, Psalm 121, is one of those. So as we look at it, think of this, kids. You're actually on a journey going up. And it's not a little hill. It's like you'd be looking up away, and you're to, having to go up. And then there's Jerusalem, the city on a hill. This is the place where God specially meets you to worship. Now, we don't have to do that today because the Lord Jesus Christ is in and among us even now. So we don't have to make that kind of walk, which, of course, would be harder the older we get. But here, it's easy. He's always with us. But think of this, kids. You're You're going up, and you're with a bunch of people, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands, and you're all chanting together. And this is one of these that you would be chanting I'm not going to chant it because I'm I'm not Jewish and I don't know how it goes, but let's take a look then at this psalm. I lift up my eyes towards the hills. Where comes my helper? My helper is from Yehua, that's the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. He permits not your foot to slip. He slumbers not he who watches over you. Look. He does not slumber and does not sleep. He who watches over Israel. That's the church. Yehua watches over you. Yehua your shade over your right hand. By day the sun will not strike you, nor the moon in the night. Yehua watches over you from all evil. He watches over your soul. Your watches over your going out and coming in from now and forever. Isn't that beautiful? Let's pray. Lord, as we take a look at this text, which for us is very familiar, uh, nothing new here, but we pray that you might impress upon us how precious it is that you are the one who watches over us, not people, not systems, but you, the creator and eternal God, who loves his people. The loving God watches over us. So if we remember nothing else this morning, help us to remember that, that both now and forevermore, you, are loving covenant God, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of his Holy Spirit, watches over us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you take a look at your bulletin, I was asked by Sue, what's, what kind of quote could I put on here? So that's something new to me, but I thought, okay, what would be a good quote? And I thought, well, we're, this is supposed to be Palm Sunday. And I was gonna go into John on that, but then I realized I had done that about seven or eight years ago when I was here. And some of you actually have a great memory. I don't, so I actually forgot I had done that and I was working on that and I realized later on, hey, wait a minute. So, but to remember that this is Palm Sunday. Kids, do you know what went on on Palm Sunday? Jesus came in to Jerusalem as a triumphant king He's coming in as the king, king over his people, king over creation, king over everything. But he's not coming in like you would expect a king. He's coming in on a little donkey, which is a royal type of thing. But you know, he doesn't have a big army with him or anything like that. It's the common people that are greeting him. And one of the things they, would, they were doing was they were ripping out palm branches. Not ecologically sound, certainly not very green, but nevertheless, they're so full of joy for him that they're doing that and they're waving it. And as he's coming through, they're saying, Hosanna or O oh, save, right? That's what they're saying, O oh, save. Save us from this situation. Save us from our everyday woe. Save us from the problems of this life is one of the many ways you can understand it. O oh, save us, king of Jerusalem, Really, king of the universe, king of God's people. So that's kind of the background. But you know, kids, all those people, not all, probably most, though, of those people that are saying that, they're saying, Come in, great king, we love you. You know, only a few days later, they're the ones that are actually telling everybody else, Hey, hang him. We don't like him. We don't like him anymore. Why not? He didn't meet our needs. He didn't meet our felt needs. He didn't meet what we expect our God to give us. Our king should be giving this to us. So you see, kids, they weren't worshiping him. They were worshiping themselves. Oh, well, they used him, of course. But really, who were they worshiping? They're praising his name one day. A few days later, they're cursing him. They're mocking him. So that's why I thought this morning, you know, this little quote from John Calvin, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. When you worship yourself, you're an idol worshiper because that's all you are, right? You're just clay. You're stardust as some scientists like to call it. But you're just a creature. But yet we want to worship ourselves. We want things our way. And that's probably our biggest problem, right? We, we do fight things. And our biggest enemy is ourselves. You know, the world, the flesh, and the devil uh, are our enemies. But the world, the flesh, and the devil uses those things against us, calling us to worship ourselves. And it's easy to do. So although we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and only him, right, We only worship Him, God in Christ. We say so often, we praise you, Lord Jesus. We sing songs and hymns of praise, and we mean it. But at times, when the going gets tough or things don't seem to work out the way we want, then sometimes we might find ourselves slipping into the same kind of idolatry that the crowd did on Palm Sunday. Yeah, even believers, or is it just me that does stuff like that, that thinks like that? Perhaps you're spared, but it's easy to do, isn't it? You know, we could, what would that look like? Just some examples, not completely all of them, but some. We could find ourselves in hopeless despair Kids, you know what hopeless despair is? It's when you say, I give up. What can I do about this? There's no hope here. That's hopeless despair. Did you ever think that that's idolatry? That you're somehow worshiping yourself thinking, I'm so important that what I think means everything to the universe, and if it isn't going my way, well, then there's no hope. It's easy to do, isn't it? Or, you know, we could be, especially as we get older, we could be physically impaired. Uh, chronic pain, fibromyalgia, as some people call it, or other types of situations. You know, kids, when you get older, you're gonna have to get a job. That's a tough thing. Not only get a job, but keep it. And to have a job that actually helps you you know, keep food on your table and a roof over your head. And what happens when you don't have that, when you lose it? Well, there's that temptation, isn't it? And you know, it can get so bad where maybe you can't get along, your body is now hurting, or you've had a relationship that has just bombed out. You can't get along with someone, or you love someone so much and they rejected you and now you've lost all hope in a manner of speaking. And you know, some people, even Christians, even believers, they're tempted, aren't they, with, with suicide, they said, I have given up. That's idolatry, again, focusing on self. You know, there's another way too, and, it, and it's easy for us in this country, or in the Western world, and it's only caring about ourselves. I take care of myself. That's the important thing. Oh, we can say other things. Oh, I've got to, you know, meet my commitments, which are good. I've got to make sure I do these things so that everybody's taken care of. That's good. But, hey, if I do it enough and I have a little bit extra, that's good too, right? Now I've got to build that extra because you never can tell what might ha- happen. I can never have enough. And all of a sudden, what was a good thing becomes an idol. idol. You know, we're all tempted to that, and we could see that even on Palm Sunday. And so, you know, the psalmist, don't forget, he's on his way up to worship the Lord. And so, this is what we're looking at worship-wise, is where's our focus all the time? Where should it be, we know, but where is it the times that it's really hard? What happens when we are distracted, when we start becoming idle factories, when we become idolatrous, when the focus is on me, myself, and I? What do we do about it? Well, if we think about what the psalmist is saying here, we lift our eyes, we look up. And we look up to the Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ, Because that's what this psalm is reminding us, to look up to the Lord. Don't look down at our circumstances, which, by the way, might be hard. It doesn't make our circumstances any easier, does it? But it does help us refocus. Kids, it helps us to rethink what's really important. I might lose this. I might not ever get anything back. My parents who died, you know... I miss them. I won't ever lose that missing, but I'll see him again in Christ. You know, it's it's that refocusing on where you are now. And that's what the psalmist is reminding us of. What do we do? We look up to our covenant God, who has promised He's with us and will never leave us nor forsake us. To look Christward. And in those situations, it's probably helpful to remind ourselves, believer, in whom am I trusting right now? Who am I trusting right now? Oh, I trust Jesus for forever, okay. I trust him for heaven, okay. But right now, I'm having a hard time trusting him for this situation. And that's the time you can go, hey, wait a minute. Who am I trusting in? right now. And then when you come to your senses, you can go, okay, what do I do to rethink this? And you know, Jesus made it pretty easy for us. It's Matthew six twenty-three or 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek Jesus first. Even when it seems like you're not going to have anything else. You know, Ed was just talking about that. He reminded us, and it's out of, really out of, I think it's Genesis 12, where God says to Abraham, the father of the faith, right? He says to Abraham, I am your shield, your protector, your protector and what else? You can say it. Great your great reward. God is our reward. Kids, have you thought about that? No matter what, God is your reward now and forevermore. And that's what the psalmist is pointing us to. So as we look at this, there's a few tidbits here I'd like us to take a look at. In the first two verses, he says, I lift up my eyes towards the hills. Where comes my helper? My helper is from Yehua, maker of heaven and earth. So as the psalmist is Thousands are going up to Jerusalem to worship. On the ascent to Jerusalem, the psalmist is really asking when he says, I lift up my eyes towards the hill, where comes my help? He could be saying it this way. For those of you that are on this ascent with me but aren't really trusting in the Lord, who's your helper? Now, kids, a long time ago, when a lot of your parents were younger, there was this little thing that it was kind of a joke. And someone would say, hey, who's your daddy? And that was really saying, so <laughs> who are you? you know, Where's your background? What makes you significant? That kind of thing. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Who is your hope? Who are you trusting in? Are you trusting in the covenant God? Because he's really saying in that first verse, will my helper come from the hills? Now, remember, he's going up a hill. You can call it a little mountain if you want. Hill, mountain, it's still there. And then there's other hills around Jerusalem, which were actually a little bit bigger. They kind of surrounded it. But here, Jerusalem, that's where you're going. And he's saying, so, you looking for your help from the hills? And you're probably thinking, so why would he say it that way? We're going up the hill to the Lord, Why is he saying, where is your help coming from, the hills? Well, they knew certain things that was part of their life that we don't necessarily think in terms of. You see, at that time, the unbelievers, kids, the unbelievers would worship their gods, which, by the way, didn't really exist. There was just stuff in their head that they made up. We call them world religions today. We also call them philosophies. But they would worship their gods on hills because they believed the closer they were to heaven, then the closer they were to their gods. And so they would do that. And the sad thing is the church, the Old Testament church, which we call Israel, you know, they wanted to be just like little kids. We want to be like everybody else, mommy and daddy. Mommy and daddy says, no, You're in a covenant home. We live and act this way. Oh, but, you know, Johnny and Susie down the street, they do this. You know, they have cell phones, and they're only five. Why can't I? I'm already eight. A little dig for parents here. But you get the picture. The church wanted to be like the world, and they did. They copied the world all the time, generation after generation. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 21, I copied this out. This is part of God chastising, you know. He's rebuking his church. A voice is heard on the bare heights, a hill. The weeping and the supplications or prayers of the sons of Israel because they have perverted their way, they have forgotten Yehua, their God. There's a lot more to it there in Jeremiah, but you get the picture. God is saying, why are you worshiping gods that don't exist? You're worshiping yourselves is what you're really doing. You're focusing on yourselves. Why? (laughs) You can't help yourself, so why are you praying to yourself, right? I'm your help. And so the Psalms is saying, you know what? I, I expect help from our God. Our covenant God. My helper is from Yahweh or Yahweh or Jehovah. Different ways of saying the YHWH that's in the original Hebrew. My helper is from Yahweh, the covenant God, the creator God, the true God. My hope and trust is in Him. Want to know who He is? He's the maker of heaven and earth. He created everything make heaven and earth was the old testament way of saying the universe everything you see and you don't see that's what he's saying i trust in the god who's made everything what i can see what i can't see that's my hope that's my trust and that's what the psalmist is saying so really he's saying god is our helper and folks In the New Testament, God has revealed even more of Himself to us in His Son. One day when Jesus returns, or we die first, depends, we get transformed, as you know, flesh and blood, in other words, these bodies, flesh and blood cannot inherit the Kingdom of God. For believers, that means we have to be transformed, not only with our minds, but even with our bodies, transformed just like Jesus' body was. And that's what we have to look forward to. That's our eternity. And the psalmist is saying he's not asking for help in general. You know, I've translated it here, where comes my helper? My helper is from Yahuwah. Many of you have a translation that says help. How many have just help in your translation? You can raise your hand. There's no altar call here. (laughs) But I was a Baptist for 20 years. But you get the picture is, I'm not using that word help, because when you think of the word help, you're thinking of what? Well, I need help. Do you need psychological help? Do you need physical help? you need help with homework? Do you need help to take the groceries in? That's not it. See, that same Hebrew word, at least in this context, comes comes across more like, where is my helper? My helper, an individual, somebody that will be there for me. Where comes my helper? Where is my helper? Lord, I need a helper now. I'm having a hard time. I have lost my home, I have lost my job. You know, my girlfriend left me, my boyfriend left me. All those kinds of things. Where is my helper? But then he says, my helper is the Lord. You're my helper, God. You created me, but you didn't just leave me. You created me and you're with me every step of the way. You provide my help. You provide my helper. Folks, who is our helper? Who has the Lord revealed as his people's helper? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say about himself when he's answering Thomas? And Thomas says, oh, why don't you show us you know, the Lord? Why don't you just show us God? And what did Jesus say? How long have you been with me? Like three years, right? God has been in your midst. I've been walking with you. I've been talking with you. And you've been clueless all this time. I'm the expression of God in the flesh. I'm God. You can look at me. And I don't destroy you. Kids, you know, in the Old Testament, God would say, if you look at me, you won't live. You can't look at me And live you're just too bad you're too evil and yet now what are we looking forward to Jesus we're looking forward to seeing God with real eyes this is the helper that the psalmist is looking forward to he's the same helper we're looking forward to seeing in our own flesh renewed with our own bodies, with our own eyes, renewed. Jesus is that creator, God. You know, in John chapter 1, it says this, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Saying it kind of funny, but he's getting this point across. Everything that exists, seen and unseen, is the creation of Jesus. And he, believer, is your helper now. No matter what your situation is, no matter what your situation may become, he is your helper now, and don't forget that if you forget everything else. Jesus is the one we worship. He's the one that we lift up our eyes to. So he's our helper through his Holy Spirit now. And he also preserves us. He stands guard over us. In verses 3 and 4 it says, He permits not. I like the way that says. It's kind of wooden the way it's translated but it has a lot of impact. He permits what? He permits not. He permits nothing. What does that mean? He permits not for your foot to slip. Now you're thinking, so, so what? He's gonna keep that from happening? No, in those times what it meant for your foot to slip was a way the Hebrews would say, falling to utter destruction. So when it says, he prevents your foot from slipping, well, what would it look like around here in, in Nevada? Well, we're in the plains right now, but there's mountains all over this place, right? How many of you, how many, how many go hiking, or at least walking on the hills? Well, suppose you're along the edge, and you're thinking, ah, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, let's see how close I can get. Maybe I'll get a selfie, and your foot slips. You know, people do that at the Grand Canyon, and about three or four people every year, their foot slips at the rim of part of the Grand Canyon. And what happens? They die, they fall. God does not permit that. And you're thinking, wait a minute, I bet you some of those were Christians. Yeah, they might have. Christians do silly things too. So how does that apply here? because he's talking about something much more than what can happen to us physically. Now kids, this is, I don't know if your parents want me to say this, but life in this world is like a bad movie. Everybody dies. Nobody gets away. So that's our reality. But you see, death here is for the believer. It's the stepping stone to life eternal in a different realm, a different world. And it's just as real as this. And when Jesus comes, he will make it complete. His kingdom is now in its work, he's working it, and he will complete it upon his return. It'll be transformed, what we call the new heavens and the new earth chiefly known as a place where righteousness dwells. Can you imagine that, kids? Nobody makes fun of you. Nobody treats you mean. Nobody yells at you in a, in a mean voice. Everybody does good to you. That's a place where righteousness dwells. That's where we're headed. And the psalms is saying, you won't ever slip away from that. Nobody, nothing, can take that away from you if your faith is in Christ this morning. Now, do you really believe that? Or do you let your circumstances carry you away and turn you into an idle factory? Our helper preserves us. He watches over us. He doesn't let our foot slip to utter destruction. He will not permit it. That's exactly what he says here. He permits not your foot to sleep. And then you can also see how he watches over us. You know, kids, when it's, okay, kids, how many of you don't like it when you turn the lights out and you close your door in your room? Once in a while, I think that. You get kind of nervous, especially if you watch some of these movies you shouldn't be watching on TV. Or go to sea. You know, you you come home and you're thinking there's some kind of monster or maybe there's some shark that can also walk around and get you from under the bed. Weird things like that, right? But it's irrational, but then at night you get nervous and irrational things come to your mind. But it's good to know that the Lord watches over you. He doesn't sleep. You get the picture of his guarding you. He slumbers not. He sleeps not, kids. He who watches or guards. That's actual the word here. Watches, guards. He's standing guard. It's better than having Seam-teal, SEAL Team 6 around your bedroom. A lot less noisy too, right? He slumbers not. He who watches or guards you. Look. He doesn't slumber, he doesn't sleep because God doesn't get tired. He who watches over Israel. Israel is the church. It's the name of the Old Testament church and we are the new Israel. We're the New Testament church. We are the princes of God, those who struggle with God at times. But you can see he watches over us he guards us. He guards you, believer, in your situation right now. He's guarding you. He's watching over you, making sure your foot does not slip. You don't face utter destruction. He's put you in your difficulty. And you're probably thinking, well, if he loved me, why? It's because he loves you. He's training you. You know, for each one of us, we have had those situations and have had them and will have them. But if we see them as his training grounds, you know, how many little kids here, boy, probably both boys and girls now, ever think about, you know, being a pilot in the military? You know, to do that, it's a lot of training. And it's not always fun because you have to study, but you just don't study and have to pass exams, you also have to do it. You know, well, okay, I got an A in this, okay, you got an A in that, now get in the plane and we're gonna fly that and see if you can actually do it. I well, do no, wait a minute here. <laughs> it's not always that easy. You're right, but I'm still grading you. Over and over for years is training. But if you survive it all, then you can do all that stuff. Well, that's what he's doing with us, isn't he? He's growing our faith. And he trains us through what? Through difficulty. How can you grow your faith when everything works well? When everything works well, you don't even think about him a lot of times. But when they don't, that's when we call on him, isn't it? And he knows that. That's our frame. We have feet of dust. We're self-centered. But he still loves us. He's growing us in faith and trust in Christ. So he tirelessly guards over us, his church, his people. And he will not permit, he permits not our destruction. Nothing, no one can take us out of his hand. Isn't that comforting? No matter what, it's it's that kind of faith that allowed the early martyrs to be turned into human torches and to die that way. It was though that kind of faith that allows even believers now in Syria, Saudi Arabia, North Korea, other places like that, who are tortured, killed, have their families torn away, have their jobs taken away, become homeless because they trust in the Lord. They choose Jesus over the things of this world because they know, like we know, all this has to go away. All of this has to go away. This world as it stands is going away. There's a fancy word for that, kids. It's called entropy. Entropy means everything's wearing out. The whole universe right now it all wears out it all gets discombobulated but you see the Lord doesn't wear out himself nor in his watch care over you and me believer and he's bring us to that place with him in eternity which never wears out and he protects us all the way You know, it's 1 Peter chapter 1. It says this Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born once more to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to gain an inheritance. We have an inheritance better than something from a rich uncle <laughs> who might not give us anything anyway. A better inheritance. Imperishable. Kids, imperishable means it can't go away. It can't burn out. Undefiled, it's perfect all the time. Will not fade away. It won't get old. And it's reserved in heaven for you. Well, how do we know that? It sounds so great. This is the best part. We who are preserved by the power of God, it's God who preserves us. And he does it through the faith he's given us for a salvation ready to be revealed at that last day. That's our reality, folks. Do you believe it even now, despite circumstances? And then the last few verses here, you know, he told us that it's Jesus who is our helper and that he watches over us and he guarantees that we don't face utter destruction, eternal hell, the lake of fire, all those terms that sound so bad that unbelievers face. And then he tells us that he protects us even now Yahweh watches or guards over you and i want you to listen to this verse 5 verse 7 and verse 8 all start the same way so they're little titles Yahweh watches over you Yahweh your shade over your right hand by day the sun will not strike you nor the moon in the night verse 7 Yahweh watches over you from evil from all evil he watches over your very soul. In verse 8, Yahuwah watches over you or your going out and coming in now and forevermore. Do you understand what he does? What does he do, kids? What does God do? He watches over you. I said, don't forget it. He watches over you if your faith is in Christ this morning and you know you're kind of thinking well okay so here's an example of him watching over you he's your shade over your right hand okay so I kinda get it in the desert you want shade protection over your right hand I mean I want shade over all of me right I get sunstroke just my right hand I mean but we gotta understand the way people talked back then over your right hand The right hand would be considered the place of honor. If there was a king there, the king would place you at his, or if it was a queen, her right hand, a place of honor. It could also be a place of authority. Jesus is at the right hand of power. It's a way of saying he is God who effects things, who makes things happen. So how does this apply to us? Yahweh is your shade, your protection, over your right hand. Well, the best I could understand that was, He's your protection over your honor, over my honor, over our righteousness. And you're going like, well, wait a minute here. (laughs) I don't have my own righteousness. And you're absolutely right. None of us do. Yet He's protecting our righteousness. Where does that come from? I believe he's telling us that he's guarding us over that work he's doing us. What is our righteousness? It's not our own, but it's given to us through faith in Christ, and he's growing it. That's part of why we have difficulties to grow our faith and then to live in faith, to follow what he calls us to do, even when it's difficult not to follow after the world and do it their way, but to do it his way, even though it seems at times, it ain't working. It's not working for me. I'm not happy by following Jesus. But see, that's where the training is really coming into play. Who am I trusting in right now in this? The right hand in Old Testament times symbolized honor, strength and might and righteousness and that's all tied up here in God is the one who protects our righteousness through faith in Christ you have righteousness in Ephesians 4 he says he says to us sinners saved by grace put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created what does it mean to be a new creation it's someone that's being created in the image of jesus put on the new self which in the likeness of god has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth we are being reformed retransformed into what we are created to be we're made in the image of god he's re-imaging our fallen cells our fallenness that we inherited from Adam and Eve he's re imaging us he's recreating us it's better than watching one of those flipped houses isn't it or saving a recipe on one of those silly cooking shows sorry honey you get that he's doing that with us but it's hard because we're really messed up. That's why the training's so hard, because he's bringing us to a point from a really messed up point, but he's doing it because he loves us and he wants us to be better reflections of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it takes training, and that training means difficulty. And by the way, when he protects us, you're going, protects me from the sun and the moon? Okay, sun, I can see that, sunstroke. But moon? Well, what's that got to do with it? Again, we got to understand how they thought back then. So they actually believed you could become moonstruck. That means the moon could hit people and drive them crazy. And they would become loony. That's the term comes from the word lunar, which is moon. So if someone says you're loony, they're saying you're moonstruck, means you're crazy. Later on, I'd like you to read uh, Matthew 17, verse 15. Just write that down, Matthew 17, verse 15, and see an example of lunacy, being moonstruck, and what Jesus does with that. So he watches over our souls You know, that's when I see that. How many have ever read Pilgrim's Progress? You know, there's a part where Pilgrim is going to a mansion, I believe. I haven't read it in a while. And on his way, there's lions. And they're like coming after him, right? They're coming at him. And he's like scared. He freezes, I guess. But they can only come so far because they're on chains. So they come roaring, they come screaming, they're real lions and they're terrifying. But they're on chains, so they come and go like that. And he's walking on this path, kind of the straight and narrow, as long as he's on that path following Jesus. These lions, they can't get him. They can chase him, they can roar, they can claw at him, but they can't touch him. The Lord is protecting our souls like that. You know, Satan is depicted as right now a roaring lion seeking to whom he can devour. But if you're trusting in Jesus, he can't touch you. No matter what you're going through now, he cannot touch you. Now, if that isn't comforting, I don't know what is. So it's Jesus who watches over our whole life, our going out and our coming in. That's another Hebrew way of saying all the time. Jesus watches us all the time. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't get tired. He's protecting us. We can't face eternal destruction. And even now as we walk this fallen earth, he watches over us and protects us from the evil one and all evil that he provides. So then, what are we not going to forget? You can say it. I know it's a sermon, but you can still say it. He watches over us. He guards us. The Lord Jesus is watching over us even now. His spirit dwells amongst us even now and in us individually who trust in him. Our Lord God watches over us. He guards our lives, and that is our comfort in life and death throughout our trials. So he's calling us then, like the psalmist this morning, continually look up, not to the hills, not to the world's ways of thinking, not to the way you think necessarily, but look to the Lord. Look to Jesus through the trials that he places in you and me as he trains us into righteousness and holiness that we might be better reflections of him, that we might be better, basically, judges of the earth. Our spirit and our helper dwells with us as we live lives of repentance and faith in this fallen age, he watches over his church. You know, in First Thessalonians, he says this, chapter five, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake, that means alive here, or asleep, that means we die here, we will live together with him. So then encourage one another, build up one another, just as you have been doing. So folks, that's one of our marching calls, isn't it? Is to encourage one another in the Lord. Not pious advice, but remind each other. Let's look to the Lord in this, in this situation, you know, to pray, encourage. Sometimes if you need to help somebody sometimes it might even be just to shut up. Maybe they don't need to hear from you. They just need you to be with them. But you get the point, right? He preserves us. He guards our souls. He directs our life every step of the way in things we like and things we don't like and he's bringing us to glory, but he's doing it the way the Lord went to glory, through humility, through humble circumstances, through earthly trials, that he might reform us to be better images of him. I'm gonna close with just a few more questions. You remember we started off One of the temptations we might have is to live in hopeless despair. But uh, you you might ask yourself this question too. If your faith is in Christ this morning, if you're really a believer, are you going to hell? No. Are you going to heaven? Yeah. Is that a reality? Does it have to happen? Yeah. So, what's your problem? Now, I know that sounds light, but ultimately you can ask yourself that question. No matter what he's bringing me through, I have God. He's my reward. I have heaven now and forevermore. You know, if you're in such a bind that you even might think about suicide, You know, my life just doesn't mean anything anymore. I don't have good quality of life. hate that term. Because that's how we justify killing kids, isn't it? Or killing older people, which is me. You get that, right? Quality of life. All life is quality because all life comes from God. To image Him. And you know think about this God might be using your life and its difficulties in ways to glorify himself that you never thought about for instance in John chapter 9 because if you don't remember that it's where this guy who's been born blind he born blind and he's in his probably 30s or 40s never seen a thing and guess what God made that happen for what reason? So that Jesus could give him sight, and then he could testify to the glory of God. Yeah. So isn't that what our lives are for? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever? And finally, you know, it's easy for us, like I said, to be self-centered and think only of, our, only of ourselves. and That's probably one of the biggest temptations in this life at least for us. But what is Christ pointing us to? Not self-centeredness but loving him and loving those made in his image which is his law. And I direct you in your own time to look at Luke 10 which we know to be the Good Samaritan. You can see that these things that test us and tempt us, God directs us in other directions, and it's always focused on him because he's worthy of it. That's what he built us for. That's what he made us for. That's what this universe is for, to glorify him. And so help us then to think in those terms, no matter the difficulty, and it doesn't minimize the difficulty again. Seeing someone die, losing precious things, not getting what you desire that is probably good. All those things, it doesn't mean God hates you. But remember, he's glorifying himself, just like Romans 8, 28, and maybe not in this life, but in the age to come. He might show show to us how it's both been good for us and glorifying for him. So let's think about those things. And if you remember nothing else, kids, what are you going to remember? He watches over us who trust in him. Let's pray. Father, help us not to forget that. It's a simple lesson, but it's something that we need to be reminded and we so often forget. We pray you forgive us for those times we become idol factories, and that in those times you bring us up short and remind us once again of what we're doing. Give us the power of repentance. Grow our faith. Help us to confess such sin. And then give us renewed obedience to follow after you. It's in Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen.